Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. You saw something new called... Weathering With You. Weathering With You. Yes. That's the subtitle of this podcast, isn't it? (laughs) Since you joined... (laughs) You're weathering us. Not at all. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Welcome to the... To the podcast. Oh, welcome. Yes. It keeps you up on things like movies, television, <laughs> banging, just... banging Arch Campbell, <laughs> awards, and entertainment news, too. <laughs> I'm Lou Katz. With me from Vulture and WTOP Radio. Bravo. Bravo. And entertainment critic, Jen Cheney. Oh, yes. Hello, hello. And our longtime radio and television <laughs> reviewer. Yes. He goes by the name Arch Campbell. That's right. I'm a... I'm an analog guy in a digital world, <laughs> and, and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. So, but Jen and Lou, here we are, and I think before we get going, we need to give a shout out to the great Terry Jones, who passed away this week, and of course is uh, one of the founding members of uh, the Monty Python Flying Circus and the Monty Python Gang, and I just, la- I have so many good mer- memories of Terry Jones. How about you? Yeah, I mean, people talk a lot about the the films, mm-hmm. you know, but I honestly, my fondest Monty Python memories are watching the show itself, yeah, yeah. which they used to air on PBS, like at 1130 on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in high school, that's when I really kind of discovered Monty Python and would sit down and watch every episode of it. And it was just hilarious. There's a little piece of trivia. Actually, the PBS station Channel 26 in Washington was the first station to air Monty Python's Flying Circus. Did you know that? I didn't, and that's where I watched it. Yeah, and uh, and it seemed to me for a while that they ran it at 11 o'clock Saturday night. So you could watch it at 11 o'clock and then flip over to Saturday Night Live when it was great. And uh, there's a wonderful uh, obituary on the Washington Post by Adam Bernstein, who probably is one of the great writers of our time. And he mentions uh, the skits, including... The fish slapping dance, <laughs> the cross-dressing lumberjack, and the civil ser- servant who approves uh, government grants for silly walks. <laughs> and most of all, the uh, cardinal in the Spanish Inquisition who tortures victims with soft cushions and the dreaded comfy chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no not the comfy chair not the comfy chair in the early days of my uh movie reviewing i uh was good pals with a guy named john corcoran he was the movie reviewer on channel seven and i was uh reviewing on channel four and we went to see the meaning of life so this was 1983 and terry jones plays mr creosote <laughs> Yes. The gourmand who eats and eats and eats and eats. And then things get ugly. <laughs> and I think it was the first real example of projectile vomiting that I had ever seen. And <laughs> Corcoran and I just laughed like a couple of five-year-old boys. <laughs> and... Uh, he, he explodes, finally, after he eats a, a little thin wafer. I think it's John Cleese. Oh, Monsieur Cle- Creosote, just a little a thin wafer. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Terry Jones. Yeah, sad to sad to see him go. Now that was TV, wasn't it? It's both, really, right? Oh yeah, it's TV and TV, movies. TV and movies. Later on, he uh, he wrote uh, books. He wrote a series of children's books. He was uh, somewhat of an intellectual. Anyway, uh, let's see how old was he? Seventy-seven years old. Yikes! So, uh, so what did you think of the uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards? Aside from the big win for Parasite, which was mm-hmm. a pleasant surprise, um, the major acting awards went exactly as you would have expected them to. Um, Lou, do you vote in the Screen Actors Guild? If awards? I can remember to do it. Or, you're a member of AFTRA still. Oh, yeah, still. sag after, right. Did you vote? <laughs> I'm abstaining <laughs> just, from answering. Just puts you on the I just spot. Take, I just take the free the free screener. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I forgot. You know, you know what happened? I'll be honest with you. No, I, I did, this this year I did not vote. And then I, I wanted to go watch some of the the movies after the the voting was over. Mm-hmm. And of course they killed the 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 link to the screeners, so we can't oh. so I can't see oh. it anymore. So. Mm. Do they do them all by links for you now? I would say, what do you say, Arch? About 50% of the movies that we get for these things are disc uh, and DVD, and the others are, are, are links, I think. I think I, it's still mostly DVD for us. Yeah, I'm still getting DVDs yeah. from the broadcast critics right. and uh, the Washington critics. I was surprised at Parasite. 1917, however, won the Producers Guild Award, and that, uh, I am told... It pretty much closes that case. Uh, generally speaking, yes, that's the best uh, gauge of what's going to win Best Picture. But I, as we've talked about before, I just think it seems like an especially unpredictable year. So I, I don't know what to think. I'm, I'm inclined to go with 1917 because, frankly, I mean, I, I like the movie, but of the choices, it's probably the le- least controversial and most boring choice, which is uh, perfect exactly. for the Academy. <laughs> you know, it's every year. It's it's the movie they pick as best movie. And and you kind of and that's it. That's the best. Although to their credit, they did pick Moonlight. So well, they did. And Parasite could be a, a Moonlight moment for them. That, then they followed it with Green Book, right? Which which <laughs> took yeah. us back thirty years, <laughs> at least thirty, <laughs> maybe fifty. Yeah, it would be something if Parasite wins Best Picture, as it is a uh, South Korean production, right? And you know, and and in Korean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost happened with Roma mm-hmm. last year, but I, that would be that would be something. Yes, it would. It's a great movie. A lot of people are resisting it because they don't want to. You know, somebody uh, makes the. Con- I think I'm, I've got to read Parasite. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I've always wanted to ask you guys this: movies with subtitles. Does that affect the voting on these things? You think? I think people are resistant. Well, I think some people are, and some people feel very strongly the other way. Um, but it it's possible it prevents some people from watching it. It absolutely should not. It's mm. ridiculous, but it's possible. I have always embraced films with subtitles. Mm-hmm. I, You know, a good movie is supposed to just transport you, just carry you away. You don't even know where you are anymore. And reading subtitles has never interfered with that for me. And I will say, uh, for people who watch things at home, reading subtitles forces you to pay attention. You can't... <laughs> You know, be trying to do something on your computer or looking at your phone. Mm -hmm. If you look away, you're going to miss what's going on. So one thing I did want to say about the SAGs is that I think either Joaquin Phoenix's manager or his agent or whoever, his publicist, somebody talked to him after he won at the Golden Uh Globes because his speech Mm -hmm. was very, very different. He was much more organized in his thoughts and he went out of his way to thank every other nominee, which when you're trying to win votes for an Oscar is probably a smart thing Mm -hmm. to do. 
And it was a nice speech. So, best picture, maybe 1917. Best actress, Renee Zellweger. I didn't see her acceptance. Was she uh, Lucy? She was appropriately Southern. (laughs) She said y'all a lot. Joaquin Phoenix, best actor. Laura Dern, best supporting actress. I mean, I saw... I think she's a great actress anyway. I've always liked her. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brad Pitt, what more do you want? That was the big story. Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. That was the big story. They touched each other. Oh, my God. (laughs) So uh, so here we are. They moved the Oscars up to February 9th. And yet we're already, you know, it's late January. We're already able to call them. Yeah. It made absolutely no difference in terms. Well, yes and no. I mean, like we said, best picture is still a little bit of a question mark. But on the acting front, I'm, it seems like it's all. That's uh, that's kind out. of that's a problem for them. What was that movie a few years ago about the fish? Yeah, <laughs> the Shape of Water. <laughs> we, were, we, we were watching that movie, going, "This thing's got zero chance." Of I winning. loved that yeah. movie. Did you really like I it? really liked it. Took yeah, a, took a while for me to warm up to it. I liked it a lot, actually. I was flummoxed when that won Best Picture. I just, you know, I, it was uh, beautiful. And uh, uh, unusual and, uh, and you know, deserving of attention, but as the best picture. I don't know I if just, I would have given it best picture, no, but I did like it. No. And, and I think there was an old Hollywood sort of um, vibe in that movie, and I think mm-hmm. that appealed to uh, a lot of the voters. Why probably. didn't they just give it the Esther Williams Award? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of old Hollywood. And I was... So, uh, Lou, what's our trivia question this week? Well, looks like this is the one you've picked out, Arch. <laughs> name, name the winners of the Best Picture Oscar over the last five years. We've it's, just given you a couple of the answers right, already. Really, you don't even five, have to go to Google. Five-part question. Right, you don't even have to go to Google. So we're starting with 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19, and we'll try to dig up that answer for March in just a little while towards the end of the podcast it's not fair, and it's illegal for you to fast forward to find out what that answer is. <laughs> of course, this is the Cats Podcasting System. So we are joined by fellow critic and a friend, Roxana Haddadi, who writes for... Love her. Yes, she's very smart. She's very funny. Always appreciate her insights. Uh, she writes for Pajiba. She writes for AV Club. Other places I'm missing. She and her family watch The Godfather on a regular basis, and that's what I like about Rocky Roxana <laughs> and her family. Is that right, Roxana? Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's every Christmas, I think. <laughs> the family that watches The Godfather together stays together. That's what I think. <laughs> First thing I want to ask you about is I know that unlike the two of us, you actually saw Doolittle. <laughs> it is a mess. <laughs> it is a rough movie. It feels very much like six different movies that were sort of patchworked together. Um, and it's just one of those things that confuses me as to how this was the passion project that Robert Downey Jr. worked on for years and that received a $175 million budget. So yeah, so that's definitely a strange choice for January. And I'm kind of curious to see how um, it compares with the rest of the year in terms of will there be anything else that was as disappointing as that movie. And for Universal, it's strange to release both Cats and Doolittle in yeah, the space of two months. Right. Like, what I'm a way to start the year. Like some sort of tax write-off <laughs> that happened. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was a little bit of a, a 
rough undertaking. Between the two, which was worse, Cats or Doolittle? I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that question. Terrible in their own way. <laughs> I feel I like you could no argue favorites. for either of them on a given day, and it's just a strange time that we're living in when those come out, you know, month to month, back to back. Well, now, you are our guest critic, and we asked you to call in and just tell us what movie you are sending people to that you especially like? Strangely enough, the movie that I'm recommending to people is Bad Boys for Life, which <laughs> you sort of wouldn't think the third movie in a 25-year-old franchise would work as well as it does, um, but it is actually very enjoyable. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Michael Bay handing things over to two young Moroccan-Belgian directors named Adil and Bilal, and they really pay homage to where this franchise began, as like two roughshod cops in Miami, and to what it is now, which is sort of taking some hints from the Fast and the Furious movies and becoming something that is a little more communal and collaborative and fun. And really, Martin Lawrence is a joy in the yeah, movie. I mean, yeah. we saw him come back uh, last year in Matthew McConaughey's Beach Bum. Um, and he's just really funny here. And I think that that movie does a really good job of being self-aware of where the franchise started and now where it's sort of going. And it would have been great if this were actually the last or maybe the fourth movie in the franchise. <laughs> it's kind of funny that it's named Bad Boys for Life and there's no pun. But that's actually <laughs> that's one that I'm telling a lot of people to go check out. Well, and that's why we like you, Rocky, because she, and I should call her Roxanne. Pardon me. Roxana. Uh, yeah, Roxana. Well, see, there you go. I've got it wrong three times there. <laughs> but that's why we like her, because she comes at things from an angle. And Bad Boys for Life is a surprisingly good film. Yeah, I always always like listening to what she has to say. Rocky, uh, Roxana, thank you so much for checking in. Bye. Thank you, Rocky. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. And since she brought up Bad Boys for Life, uh, let me mention that it had a huge weekend box office, way number one. And uh, Doolittle was uh, second. And uh, the other movie that is receiving a lot of attention is 1917. It's made uh, $81 million since Christmas. There's a new movie this week that we both saw, mm-hmm. again, with Matthew McConaughey, uh, The Gentleman, <laughs> directed by Guy Ritchie, and looks it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I sort of thought of it as Pulp Fiction with a Cockney accent. Mm-hmm. Which is how you could describe a number of his films. That so much wordplay that they might have used subtitles. <laughs> what did you think? I thought the last <laughs> the last third of it, it, it was a little more fun and clever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a conceit that they set up in the beginning of the movie where Hugh Grant's character walks into Charlie Hunnam's house and he starts kind of weaving the narrative of what the movie is going to be. And And Hugh Grant, it takes a minute to realize that's Hugh Grant. They really de-glamorize him. Uh, It didn't take me. Really? Even when he was in the shadows, I'm like, that's Hugh Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Uh, a little slower than you are. (laughs) But, uh, but he, but he, that conceit of him telling the story Uh goes on for a uh really long time. Yeah. And he's constantly introducing characters, and it, it it gets a little convoluted and confusing. I would also say there are some racial jokes in it that seem really antiquated and don't like aren't funny at all, especially mm. about Asian people. 
But like I said, it gets a little more fun and silly uh, in its last third. And that, that it's really nothing more than that. It's just a, a fun, silly movie. The cast, uh, you know, the, the Jeremy Strong is in there as a, as a guy wanting to take over Hugh Grant's uh, weed business. Uh, uh, Henry Goulding is there from Crazy Rich Asians. The uh, beautiful Lady Mary from <laughs> from Downton Abbey. Michelle Dockery, yeah. Michelle I mean, she's Dockery. Been, she's been making an effort since Downton Abbey to play a lot of darker characters to sort of break that image. There's, uh, you know, quite a cast. And Colin Farrell is, uh, is hilarious as sort of the comic relief who gets involved, too. It's a cast of uh, characters, and it does get better as it goes along. Yeah, and everybody seems to be having a blast doing it. I mean, Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell and, and McConaughey especially just have no hesitation about chewing on the scenery or, or, or uh, overplaying it. They really right. just dig dig into their roles for it's sure. It's dialogue heavy. There's just a lot of dialogue. There's just a lot of wordplay in this. I was surprised. I thought it was better... Way better than I expected. Yeah, I mean... But not great. Not great, but it was... But watchable. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely watchable, but that's not (laughs) not so much of a... A movie should be, at bare minimum, watchable. Well, but it's better than the usual. You know, when a movie comes out in January, I'm thinking, what's wrong with this one? And uh, and this, for a January movie, was, you know, it was kind of a surprise, like Bad Boys for Life last week. Right, and the ending... Uh, is clever. Uh, it goes in a direction you're not expecting. So yeah. that was so you you kind of go out of the theater on a high note. A little bit of misdirection, I should say. <laughs> so, so now you are our television expert, and uh, and you've got something you like this week, right? Well, something, something else that surprised me. Yeah. So there's a new show on Netflix called The Goop Lab. <laughs> Which is based on Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand and website, Goop. And it's the premise of these episodes is that they deal with a different subject matter and they send staffers to experiment with experiment with something. So in one, they, they send them to Mexico to take psychedelic drugs to see what that does in terms of um, helping oh, helping them really? with like trauma. Wow. Yeah. Uh, see, I was about to say it sounds like The Apprentice with moisturizer. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Which it's I not. thought there's, was a great line. There's, <laughs> clearly well, not. Well, it would have been if that was what, what it was. Um, <laughs> wow. But it's not a, it's not a competition show. Uh-huh. It's, it's really like an infotainment type show. Mm-hmm. But as you may know, like Goop has a lot of has a reputation for maybe not being as scientifically accurate as people might like. So there's like a disclaimer on every episode that these are not meant to provide medical advice. These are meant to entertain and inform. Please don't try LSD at home. <laughs> now, now, Jen, are they, are they hawking the candle at the end no, of each episode? But, but to, to bring up vaginas for a moment, um, they oh, there's a did whole. Did we? Yes, she did. Yes, oh, I did. Because yes. the, the, they. Goop sells a candle that that it's called This Smells Like My Vagina. <laughs> and it's $75. <laughs> but in all seriousness, there's an episode about female sexuality mm-hmm. um, that is very um, frank. And they talk to a woman who does these um, like workshops with women about female orgasm. And I really think it's it's a very valuable, like, good episode. Refreshing. It actually yeah. breaks through. And talks about, like, the stigma that women feel about mm-hmm. their bodies. And it, and that episode, I think, is the best episode of the six. Um, but I will say, I was I was ready to just rip this thing to shreds yeah. for being ridiculous. And there are some ridiculous moments in it. And, of course, whenever there is any element of doing anything, Gwyneth Paltrow is always the best at it. Always. <laughs> 
Um, but I found it more interesting and more valuable than I expected it to be. Well, I mean, she's on to something because we all know about Goop and, and, and a lot of the products have, uh, fans Mm -hmm. and have, you know, found a place among, I would think it's fair to say the top 1% or 5% or, you know, they're, they're not sold at dollar stores. No, they are not. (laughs) What is it about Gwyneth Paltrow? That just invites such disdain. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word that we used to describe used to describe her when I used to write um, celebritology with Liz uh-huh. Kelly at the Washington yeah. Post, and it was insouciance. It's just there's a certain. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you, can you do? I, do I have to look that word up? Or... <laughs> uh, just that you know, she's she's very privileged. Sometimes she doesn't seem to be fully aware of her privilege. Mm-hmm. And like I said, she's always, she's, she's like the best at everything. And you can't decide, like, do I resent her for that? Or do I admire her for that? And people seem to go straight for the resentment. Um, she's just a very divisive figure um, online. So I'll be interested to see how people respond to this show. I'm sure people will rip it to shreds. But I, I would just say, you know, at, at the very least, you know, if you watch that, that uh, female sexuality episode, even my coworkers who are also ready mm-hmm. to, they were like, wow, that was actually really well, good. And uh, Goop Lab, what, what, what's it on? It's on Netflix. Oh, okay, fine. Everything is on Netflix. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of Aquafina, especially since The Farewell. And uh, I love that she won a Golden Globe, and I'm uh, resentful that she's not in the Oscar race. And she has a TV show on Comedy Central. Yes, it just started on Comedy Central. It's called Aquafina is Nora from Queens, which is a little bit of a confusing title. <laughs> I only watched the first episode and I wasn't totally sold on it as much as I like her. It it you know, she plays a character that's clearly autobiographical uh, about a woman in Queens. She's still living uh, at home with her with her grandmother and her dad, and then she has a cousin who's played by Bowen Yang from Saturday Night Live who is, you know, always considered better than she is. Um, so it just felt like, you know, watching 20-somethings who are aimless in New York. I've seen that before on Broad City and other shows. It didn't feel like it was doing something different. I will say B.D. Wong plays her father, and he's mm. such a great, versatile wow. actor. Wow. Um, just, I mean, even just looking at what he did on Mr. Robot versus what he does on this, where he's like has a very thick Queens accent, um, huh. is, is really kind of fun. But I, I don't know. I'll give it a, a couple more episodes and see if it gets better. But I wasn't overwhelmed by it. Well, uh, B.D. Wong, he was the psychiatrist in uh, law in the Law and Order series, wasn't he? Early in his Maybe career. Maybe so. I, I'm not a Law and Order person. So. I see. Well. <laughs> I'm like the one person in America who really never before, watched it. No, no, that's that makes it makes us too. Before, before I, I had it. Netflix, that's all you had, Law and Order. And uh, I saw him on stage, I believe, in uh, a show called M Butterfly. Yeah. You remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was that was B D Wong and man, B D Wong and John um, uh, Lithgow, mm-hmm. and uh, wow, it was something. So. So let's see, Lou, what is coming up? The I... answer to the trivia question. Oh, well now what's the should trivia? I re- should I repeat I, it one more time? I've yeah, I've forgotten the trivia question. What is it? <laughs> well, I have too. That's why we have it written down here. <laughs> Name the winners, that's plural now, the winners mm-hmm. of the best picture Oscar over the last five years, starting at twenty fifteen. So you got fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Wow. Okay. But well, what's first? A little story about Hound Radio. Hound Radio welcomes you to the weird and wacky world of dogs. A weekly look at what our canine friends are up to. How old is your dog? 
To answer, you'd probably take his age and multiply by seven. And you'd be wrong, according to a team of geneticists that's come up with a more accurate way to determine a dog's age. It involves looking at subtle chemical shifts in the body, which affect genes that play a role in physical development. It's called DNA methylation and is the same process that happens when we age. Focusing just on Labradors, the investigators compared the canine rate of DNA methylation to patterns in humans and found they could match dog ages to people ages pretty well. They came up with a formula you can use, but you need a special calculator to compute the natural logarithm of your dog's age in years. Once you've got that, multiply by 16, add 31, and voila, that's how old your dog really is. So seven weeks for a puppy is about nine months for a human. And my 11-year-old dog, Samson, is close to 70, not 77. The formula doesn't fully take into consideration that different breeds age at different speeds, but the researchers say it's still more accurate than multiplying by seven. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. All right, we're back here with our podcast with Arch, Jen, and yours truly, Lou. Here's the question again. Mm. Name the winners of the Best Picture Oscar over the last five years. Five years? Right. I can't remember what happened five days ago. (laughs) We know this. Who won uh, Best Picture in 2019? We already talked about it. My favorite, Green Book. <laughs> Green and I Book. use favorite in sarcastic quotes. And uh, who won Best Picture in, uh, well, you know, because Green Book was such a throwback. that, yeah. And it really doesn't uh, represent uh, Break the Edge of uh, filmmaking for 2019. No, well, it, it was a very antiquated story. I'll put it that way. I liked uh, Roma that year. The year before, 2018, Lou, you already mentioned this. The fish movie. <laughs> <laughs> the shape, shape of water. Of water. <laughs> you liked it. I did like was it. Was that yeah. your favorite film that year? I don't think it was. I don't know that I would have given it best picture necessarily, but I did like it. And I was happy to see Guillermo del Toro get that yeah. kind of recognition. He's a great filmmaker. He is. And and uh, he does bring that international flair in. So maybe mm. that means something for Parasite this year. We'll see. Yeah. 2017, I'll give you a hint. The winner wasn't the winner until <laughs> they checked the envelope. It was not La La Land. It was Moonlight. Can I still can't get over that. That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen on live television. That was. <laughs> that was Warren Beatty. And Faye Dunaway. Oh, Faye, that's right. Faye Dunaway, right. That's what you get when you get two criminals to give the award out. It gets all messed up. He got the wrong envelope. The the, the, got... the person from Ernst & Young handed him the wrong envelope because he was busy tweeting, oh, and he handed him the wrong envelope. And it said, because um, they have doubles mm-hmm. for each one in case somebody comes in from the wrong side. Yeah. And I forget why it said La La Land on it, but he just, he misread it. La La Land had won, did that win Best Director? No. Uh, La La Land had, I don't think, did it? La La Land had won something. It had won something. It may, maybe it was, maybe right Damien Chazelle did win. That. I can't remember now. But in any event, the wrong envelope was handed to Warren Beatty. He didn't know what to do. Or no, Faye Dunaway didn't know what to do. So she said La La Land. And then Warren Beatty's like, wait a second. <laughs> I don't think that's right. Wow. I think that did more damage to the Oscars than um, 
than anything I can think of. I would argue counter that mm-hmm. it should have helped the Oscars because if weird stuff like that is going to happen, people want to watch. But oh, they're not going to well, stay up until 1230 okay. just to watch a potential mistake. Uh, 2016. What was the best movie in 2016? It's been four years ago. That was Spotlight. Yeah. Uh, which I think is one of the great movies of the decade. A great, certainly a great journalism movie. Approaches all the president's men. And 2015? Birdman. 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 Unusual. Who, who starred in that one? That Michael, was Keaton. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Right. Yeah, that was sort of his, his I guess it's kind of a comeback movie for he him. Was, he was having like a, a rolling comeback at that point. And then next year he was in Spotlight. Right. So... So what shall we, uh, what are we recommending this weekend? Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when people ask me what to go see lately, I tell them Ford versus Ferrari. You know, what's a good movie? I tell them Ford versus Ferrari. It's just hard not to like. And, uh, and if they've already seen that, I tell them Jojo uh, Rabbit. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people haven't seen that. And the people who have seen it think it's terrific. And then uh, for streaming, I say The Irishman. But the other thing that anybody who asks me about, I tell them uh, to watch Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the greatest limited series I've ever seen on Netflix. Unbelievable. So uh, that's what I got these days. So I've got three. Uh, I've got Evil. We've been talking a lot about how network TV isn't what it used to be. Yeah. And this is a show on CBS. Oh. Um, It's uh, Michelle and Robert King who did The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Uh And a really great show that is more prescient than we even understood at the time called Brain Dead that aired in the summer of 2016. And it was about all these Republicans who had um, bugs enter their brains. And then they all started acting in in concert (laughs) with each other. Like, that's another show to go back and watch now. But um, Evil is, uh, it sort of seems like it's a standard procedural. It's about a group of people that are investigating paranormal or spiritual phenomena on behalf of the Catholic Church. But it delves into really interesting questions about, you know, religion and faith. And it's really scary at times. Ooh. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really great show. Has, um, Al- has it been on since uh, the fall? It started in the fall. And in fact, um, I reviewed it initially and I'm, I'm behind a couple episodes, so I'm trying mm-hmm. to catch up. But um, if you're looking for something to watch on regular old network TV, Evil is a very Evil, good choice. Evil, yeah, on CBS. On CBS. Okay, cool. And And the episodes are on On Demand. And um, if you happen to have CBS All Access, they're there as well. Uh, you know, uh, we subscribe to the uh, CBS all access for a while to get uh the good fight mm-hmm. the uh, uh the uh, follow to uh the good wife and uh those were great shows right and that those were by the kings yeah. as well so oh okay yeah well, that's good okay evil i've written that down i talked about this a couple of weeks ago if my memory serves but cheer the docuseries about the uh, cheerleading squad at navarro college mm-hmm. in corsicana mm-hmm. texas mm-hmm. has become the breakout talk talked about show of the of the year so far oh. it has just exploded um and has made these kids really well known and it's what i see people talking about on social media maybe more than anything else at the moment as far as tv goes and what's that on that is on netflix okay and again it's, it's only six episodes it's watching uh a group of kids at a community college as they um uh, are preparing to try to win a national championship again but it also goes into their lives it's, it's sort of like friday night lights if friday night lights were about cool. cheer cool uh, and then the last thing is the Grammys. The Grammy Awards are this Sunday night uh, <laughs> on CBS. Uh, it's going to be interesting since the CEO of the Grammys was put on administrative leave recently. Um, and she has since countered and come out and, and, 
today on CBS this morning was saying, by the way, the Grammys are rigged and here's why they're rigged. (laughs) So I don't know how they're going to address that, if at all. Is it sour grapes on her part or or what are you hearing? Well, I wasn't sure. uh, And to be honest, I need to... Maybe Speaking read a of more. evil on CBS. <laughs> well, no, she was so she was put on administrative leave because her assistant, who's female, said that she was creating a toxic work environment and that she was bullying. So I didn't realize this, but the assistant was the assistant of the previous CEO who has some issues going on and who, you know, I think she believes was responsible for fostering a culture that wasn't great. So it's, it's unclear, like, who to believe in that scenario. Wow. Um, but what she was saying about the, the quote unquote rigging is that, you know, there are these committees that will decide sort of there, there's like 20 songs or 20 albums that usually people will vote from, but that people who have conflicts of interest, like they have some potential financial gain if a certain artist gets nominated, will like bump them up. And she and she wouldn't say who, but she said somebody got bumped up from like 20 to, right. to five. Right. And, and if you've watched the Grammys ever and seen how ridiculous the awards are, this should not be a surprise. <laughs> um, so I kind of... It gives a whole interesting backstory to whatever happens on Sunday night. Plus, the you know, the, the fact that they will have, as always, a lot of great performances. Um, and Alicia Keys is hosting again, as she did last year. So, so you have picked the uh, closing music for this podcast because of the Grammys. Because of the Grammys. So one of the most nominated artists this year is Lizzo. Um, she's up for Record of the Year, Song of the Year, Album of the Year, a bunch of other stuff. She's uh, just amazing. I saw her in concert a couple months ago and a great, um, she's been around for a long time, but this was the year that she really, really And she was popped. on Saturday Night Live, her call back With Eddie Murphy. Fall. Right, with, with Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, right. um, mm. she's, she's fantastic. I don't know if she'll win. You know, she could win. Billie Eilish could win. She's also an emerging artist this year, but um, I think her, her album is fantastic. And uh, So what's the name of the song Lizzo will conclude us with? Truth Hurts. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the suggestion, Jen. And speaking of truth, I'm Lou. He's Art. She's Jen. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week at the movies. Why men great so they gotta be great? Woo. I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm a hundred percent dead. Even when I'm crying crazy, yeah, I got boy problems. That's the human in me. Bling bling, then I solve them. That's the goddess in you me. I mean, who would want to hide this? I will never, ever, 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 ever be your side chick. I put the singing single. Ain't worried about a ring on my finger. So you can tell your friend. Shoot your child when you see him. It's okay. He already in my DM. Why am I great till they gotta be great? Don't text me and tell it straight to my face. Best friend set me down in the salon chair.
back in a minute. Yeah, yeah, I don't play tag, I've been it. We don't win with lies. We don't do goodbyes. We just keep it pushing like aye, aye, aye. I'ma hit you back in a minute. Like, aye, aye, aye. Why men great till they gotta be great? Don't text me, tell it straight to my face. Best friends, set me down in the salon chair. Shampoo, press, get you out of my hair. Fresh photos with the bomb lighting. New man on the Minnesota Vikings. True hurts needed something more exciting. Dum, 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 This is the CATS Podcasting System.